Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. There's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock Style. Earl! Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras. Let's be a cold weather team. Neck rolls. And grass-stained jerseys. The good old-fashioned guts was probably the biggest difference in the game. Hello, welcome to another episode of Hot Routes. Matthew Collar here along with Jonathan Harrison. If you are just discovering the show, five questions breaking down what we have seen in the NFL in sometimes a strange and always a fun manner. So, uh, Jonathan, first, uh, have you recovered from last night's game? I feel like uh, I woke up. And I looked at social media and those people had not recovered from all the things that happened. And just a real quick comment uh, between the Chiefs and the Raiders. Always classic when those two get together. But uh, I I just want to understand how there are so many people with jobs in football or talking about football who have made no effort to understand when it's analytics and when it's not analytics. Because I feel that there's a lot of folks in the media who are analyzing the game and former players and stuff who who look at things that happen and just think it must be the analytics if I disagree with it. Uh, the Raiders going for two, I don't know was the analytics play or not. I, I don't think it really was. I was very surprised by it. I thought maybe it would be a mistake. I get why the Raiders are trying to win the game right there on one play, but Tying it seems like a fairly favorable situation. So I I guess I want to understand, like, yes, when teams make a decision based on win probabilities, and there are teams that have people up in the press box who are advising them on their moves, should you go for it? Should you kick a field goal? Whatever. But anytime a coach is aggressive, this is... Look, one of the things we love to do in this show is look back a little bit in history, make historical comparisons. Coaches have been aggressive before. Didn't get invented today. You can go back and find lots of aggressive decisions. How about Nebraska, Tom Osborne going for the national championship, going for two and failing to to win it. I mean, like it's not the first time uh, that this has ever happened. So it's one of the, it's one of the things that's kind of driving me nuts. And I think when we all watch the same game, you just get this flood of takes and some of them are pretty rough. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it goes back to the the old guy in the booth who just hasn't played the game in a while and they or been a part of the game in a while and they don't understand that some things aren't analytics and some things are and they they're struggling to keep up with the game sometimes. So I don't know. It's and just the guys on Twitter take or with the hot takes just not understanding analytics baffles me too. It's like you're on a technology platform. How do you not understand what are analytics and what are not at this point in the NFL? We've been doing this for what, 10, 15 years now with analytics in the game, and you still have no grasp on what is and what isn't. Also, I just like the fact that we started week five with one of the worst football games of all time, 
between the the Colts and the the Broncos, and then finished with last night's game. And it just shows the juxtaposition between some of these games across the NFL week in and week out. And it goes back to what Tom Brady said. There's just a lot of bad football. And we saw that to start the week. We did not see that to end the week. No, we, we did not. And, and there were a lot of good games uh, overall, but it's all, it's always going to be that way. There's always going to be horrendous football games and great ones. And uh, yeah, that one last night, uh, the referees got in the way a bit and we'll talk about that later in the show, but I just like every decision that anyone ever makes. So if you decide, I don't know, to, on, on, on anything, on anything, two routes as you're driving. Okay. Think of it this way. This is mm-hmm. how you could look at the, how, where analytics plays into football. You know, two different ways to get to the store. You could go left and get on the highway, or you could take the surface streets, right? And your thought is I'm going to take the surface streets because then I get to keep driving and I don't run into that highway traffic. All right. But you pull out your phone and you plug it in and your phone says, oh, no, it's actually going to be five minutes quicker if you get on the highway, even despite that traffic. So it might feel a little worse or it might feel a little more risky to go on the highway. But our traffic data is showing that it's actually going to be a little bit better. That's the same as fourth downs. You have to make that decision anyway, but it's either your guess or it's there's a method of figuring out which has the slighter uh, higher probability. And the reality of all these decisions is that most of them rest on a few percentage points. Like even decisions that you might think are clearly the thing to do might only change the win probability, ex- the, ex- the expectation of the chances you win by like 5%. But, you know, you do that over a season and the idea is that you're going to hit more than you miss. And every time somebody misses in being aggressive now, I see everyone yelling about <laughs> analytics. It's like, well, wait a minute. Who even knows what the if that was influenced or not, or if Josh McDaniels just saw something, or if he had a feeling, or whatever. Um, so every decision has probabilities. It's whether you have a guide or whether you don't. And the thing about the comparison with driving is, you could have something happen on the highway. It could be an accident, something you don't expect. John Harbaugh a couple of weeks ago didn't expect Lamar Jackson to throw an interception. That changed the math quarterbacks rarely throw interceptions at the goal line, but it changed the math from what his decision was. That was kind of the car accident. So you end up on the highway for 20 minutes and you go, this phone doesn't know what it's talking about. No, the phone knew what it was talking about. It just couldn't predict an accident. So anyway, that's, that's the way I would like to look at it, but uh, let's move on to our questions. Uh, The first hot routes question of the day is I am so impressed as the rest of the world is with Micah Parsons. He is dominating the National Football League. He's getting Lawrence Taylor and Aaron Donald comparisons, and he's only in his second year in the NFL. How many non-quarterback players, Jonathan, would you take over Micah Parsons, who in my mind is the defensive MVP right now and has a great shot at it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely deserves all the recognition he's getting. He's really turned that Cowboys defense into one of the most feared units in all the league. I think for me, for the answer here, it's really only the best of the wide receivers in the league because we've seen the impact the best wide receivers in this league can have on offenses. And I'm looking at guys like Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, uh, Demonte Adams, usually a really good receiver, hasn't really had the impact that you would expect in 
uh, LA or in Las Vegas, but look how Aaron Rodgers has struggled the season without Devonte Adams in that offense. So I think those guys, maybe Cooper cup, you want to throw in there as well, uh, just based off his numbers. But I, I would think only the best of the wide receivers, if we're not picking quarterbacks in this, in this argument here, it's only the best of the wide receivers because of the impact they can have on offense. You've seen what Tyreek Hill has done down in Miami when Tua was, was healthy and playing well. Uh, it's just, the, those guys have created and with the rules today and how this game is played today, it's, they have such an impact on the game with creating space and just being unblockable, unguardable most times uh, outside of being double, triple teams uh, like Justin Jefferson was for a couple weeks. Those guys are so good at creating space and creating big play opportunities for their quarterbacks. It doesn't matter who their quarterback is. They'll make them look good. And I'm choosing only the best of the wide receivers. If I can't choose, quarterbacks or Micah Parsons here. I think that's the right answer. I, I mean, I can't think of a cornerback because cornerback has also a domino effect, just like a yeah. great pass rusher, where if you can leave that guy on the other team's best wide receiver, then you can double the second best wide receiver. And with the Minnesota Vikings, for example, when they had Xavier Rhodes, or you go back to Darrell Revis, it's funny how Rex Ryan was a defensive genius when he had Darrell Revis, and then he could just put everybody else on the other side of the field. Uh, but then as soon as Darrell Revis was gone, Rex Ryan's defenses fell apart and never had those great defenses again. That is a cheat code if you have that guy. Jalen Ramsey is really the only one in the entire NFL, I think, who gets that island treatment these days. Uh, defenses have kind of moved away from that. I think there's also very few people capable of doing that. Um, but I think I would say like if it was if it was a Darrell Revis, I might take him with a slight edge. Um, but the thing about Micah Parsons is that he's on his rookie contract and the guy is bringing insane value to that defense where they're trying to double team him. They're trying to chip him. They're doing everything and it just doesn't work. It's like Aaron Donald where there's no answer, but it's at an even a more valuable position in my mind, that edge rusher spot where you're causing fumbles and strip sacks off the edge uh you know getting in the in the quarterback's face up the middle is always great but those guys off the edge are legendary for causing turnovers right Gr hitting the quarterback's arm as he goes to pass and things like that um Parsons is just wreaking absolute havoc on other teams and he's I mean not exactly winning games by himself but it's almost that way like that whole defensive unit Trayvon Diggs is taking a big step forward like they're very good and I think that Dan Quinn is very good at what he does, but nothing happens without that guy. And so the fact that he's also one of the cheapest players in the league or just, you know, on a, on a first round pick rookie contract and under control, that makes it really hard to want to trade him for anybody else. Receiver for me is the second most valuable position. Edge rusher is probably third. And so Justin Jefferson on his contract uh, is is maybe the only comparison. Like, I think that these two guys, because the other ones you named, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, those guys are more expensive. There's even a case to talk about which quarterbacks would you uh, not like, or which, yeah, which uh, Micah Parsons would you pick over which quarterbacks in the NFL? And there's probably quite a few of them, <laughs> considering yeah. how how well he's doing uh, and, and what he means to their defense. So, yeah, I think that... Um, what we found here is one of those rare generational players uh, that just only come along every once in a while. And people like to use generational all the time. Like this is what it means where yeah. someone is still unstoppable despite 
the fact that teams are are doing everything they possibly can. So I'm interested to see how Dallas carries on through the season, but Parsons elevating from what he was last year to this year, I think makes them a legitimate Super Bowl contender when going into the season. I'm not sure that I thought they were, um, but he's been the difference maker there. Yeah, especially uh, with without Dak there and how that offense has had to basically rely on that defense, keeping them in games and Micah Parsons and uh, Diggs are doing that for them. And that defensive unit is doing that for them and keeping them at four and one in a season where you lose Dak and you think, oh man, this, this is going to be a struggle and it's not going to go well. But Micah Parsons has just absolutely dominated the opposing offenses in these last four wins for the Cowboys. By the way. Ron Rivera saying that the difference between Washington and the other teams in the division is the quarterback when they're playing Cooper rush and Daniel Jones is like banged up and not good is weird. Like you're the yeah. defensive coach, Ron, <laughs> maybe you should defense I mean, you I don't know. for a quarterback. Yeah. They traded for a quarterback and Wentz has been bad some weeks and good other weeks, yeah. which is Carson Wentz. I would definitely take Micah Parsons over Carson Wentz. So there, there are, a lot of quarterbacks that I would probably take Micah Parsons over. Uh, but what a strange comment. Like the difference is that your defense can't stop anything and other teams in the division can, which is a, a maybe a little bit of a weird thing for this year. How many uh, teams are just struggling on offense? And I think that you know, defenses are probably going to rise to the top a little bit more. And that's what we're seeing with Dallas. Uh, but Washington being not good. Shocking. <laughs> Uh, all right, next question here. Let's talk about the good teams. Uh, there was some research done. I think it was 538, or maybe it was Bill Barnwell on Twitter, that uh, teams that go 4-1 and one make the playoffs 75% of the time. So that's three out of four. So every team that's 4-1 and one thinks, oh, 75% of the time, that means we're in. But no, one team will not. And we just so happen to have four teams that are 4-1. and one. Buffalo, the aforementioned Dallas, New York Giants and Minnesota, which means it's not a guarantee. This is not how analytics work. We know how analytics work on this show. It doesn't work that way, but let's just say that it did, meaning three out of the four teams would make it. Who is the odd man out? Buffalo, Dallas, Giants, Minnesota. Well, before Kansas City Chiefs fans yell at us, obviously these questions were written during the Chiefs game because the Chiefs oh, are so now four and one. Now. Yeah. Uh, so well, before they yell at us, we are including them, but. Yeah, they're not going to miss the playoffs. (laughs) So we won't even include them. Uh, I'm going to, you know, the easy answer would be the Giants because they feel like the weakest of those teams, but I'm not going to choose them because this is hot routes. You kind of have to find the hottest of takes. So I'm going with the team we were just talking about, the Dallas Cowboys. And the only reason I'm choosing them is their head coach, Mike McCarthy. He's going to feel the pressure of Sean Payton kind of just looming over all of this. Dak Prescott is injured. And we all know injuries can have setbacks sometimes. Who says there isn't a setback? Yes, he's supposed to come back uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I would, if I was Dallas, I would keep him out until after the bye because why not? I mean, you've got you've got the tough game this weekend against the Eagles, and then you've got two what look like cupcake games in the Lions and the Bears. But then after that, your schedule gets a little bit difficult. But you have one of the easiest schedules going, so I would keep Dak out until after your bye. But I think. Mike McCarthy being there gives me a little bit of doubt of what this team can do in the long run, because we saw how his, his tenure ended in green Bay. And we you're getting by this year because your defense is one of the best units in the league. And if there's going to be any weakness in that team, for me, it's, it starts with Mike McCarthy as their head coach and Dak 
uh, whether he comes back from injury or not, and when he comes back, and whether he stays healthy, because we've seen in the past he ha- he is he has injury problems, and that's sparked up this season. Who says it it can't happen again? Bringing a guy back quickly or giving giving him some time. I think this this team will succeed whether Mike McCarthy can basically get out of his own way. <laughs> well, I think it's fair to criticize Mike McCarthy and. Uh... It seemed like there was even a chance with the way last year ended yeah. that they would just fire him and maybe even put Kellen Moore in charge. Uh, I think that they're a little too big to fail. Um, but, you know, the, your point about Dak is is valid, though, because last year we saw Russell Wilson come back from a hand injury. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but they throw the ball with their oh, hand. Really? Uh, yeah. No, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, that could lead to if they – bench Cooper rush, which, you know, he's a backup quarterback and he's done a really nice job and is better than anyone thought. And uh, maybe is one of those cases for quarterbacks developing, like we talked about a couple of shows ago. Um, But, you know, if Dak struggles off the bat because he's coming back from the thumb, can't grip the ball the same or whatever it might be, then you get a quarterback controversy. Should they go back to Cooper rush? Should they stick with Dak Prescott? It's the Dallas media is already going to try to do that. And you know, that first take and, and shows like that, like that is what they're dreaming of is having uh, a quarterback controversy in Dallas. I don't think that that will happen. I think Dallas will still make the playoffs that if Dak gets back to hundred percent, that they can be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. So I did not pick them for that reason, but your Mike McCarthy criticism is, is probably valid. I mean, it's gotta be the giants, right? It just has to be. Um, Even though I like some of the stuff that I've seen, I I like the way that their defense is played, but when your offense is really centered around a running back, it just makes you assume that that's not going to work for very long right? Like guys get injured. Saquon Barkley has been injured in the past and also just trying to run the ball to beat good teams is not that effective generally. And I I don't think that green Bay is that good of a team um, that they were able to win that game. And it still kind of had to come down to Aaron Rodgers failing at the goal line for them to win that game anyway. Uh, So, and, and Daniel Jones, I think is what he is. He's kind of like a 500 type of quarterback. Um, He can make some plays, but he's banged up and you know, he's one of those guys where you just wonder like, what, what is it that holds him back from kind of being good? Right? Like, you know, you know what it is with Carson Wentz that he's inaccurate and he just like throws interceptions and takes terrible sacks, but then has a couple of great games with Daniel Jones. I like a lot of things that I see, but it just never seems to materialize into him uh, being a good quarterback. He always seems to average like six and a half yards of pass. Um, but that team looks to me like kind of a paper tiger and it has to be brought up because Minnesota has a history of doing this, that Minnesota is a possibility here. And uh, there's a stat that um, Kevin Cole from PFF had yesterday. It's called like adjusted scores uh, where he bases it around how the team played and what the score was expected to be if you play that way. So you take out fumbles, you take out missed field goals, things like that. I, I he, had, he didn't tweet out his methodology, but I, there's similar stats that I kind of assume are, are, are how this works. And it had the Vikings at two and three. So basically they've played worse in three out of their five games, and yet they're four and one. So that screams regression. The thing is, though, when you look at their schedule, you just don't see anywhere where they could possibly regress because they have a lot of easy teams coming up. However, 
when you have a close game against Chicago, a close game against Detroit, a close game against New Orleans, those are very mediocre to bad teams. Uh, and you haven't run away from them and shown that you can be a legitimate contender. So the Vikings, they've done this before. Famously in 2003, when um, Josh McCown led a, a game-winning drive against them to knock them out of the playoffs in Arizona, <laughs> uh, but also 2016 as well. They were 5-0 and and ended up 8-8. Eight and eight. Last year, I think it was the Ravens who were 4-1 and and ended up missing the playoffs. But, you know, Lamar Jackson got hurt. So long season, folks, but... Um, None of us think that the answer is Buffalo or yeah. Kansas City. That's um, that those teams are way too good to end up melting down. And sticking with your your schedule talk there, going back to the Giants, the reason why I wanted to pick them, but because hot routes, you got to go hot, uh, is their schedule. You look at their next uh, three games. They they host the Ravens. They'll host, or then they go to the Jaguars, and then they go to the Seahawks. Those are three tough games, whether you like to admit that the Seahawks are tough or not, or the Jaguars are tough or not. Those are three teams or three games that that's not a toss up for the giants. And they still have to play the Eagles twice. They still have to play the Cowboys one more time down in Dallas. So their schedule gets really tough. So the giants, yeah, very much paper tiger right now. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I think that the the uh, the clear pick, although them going back to the old jerseys, I just oh. would love to see them make yes. the playoffs uh, in those unis. Uh, next question for you, Jonathan. Taysom Hill played a big role in the Saints win over the Seahawks, which basically kept their season alive. And I think New Orleans can be a playoff team if they stick with Andy Dalton, don't go back to Jameis Winston, and use Taysom Hill a lot as a running weapon and the occasional passer as well. Uh, Taysom Hill has to be one of the most unique football players that I have ever seen in my life. I mean, he is playing tight end. He's playing quarterback. He's running wildcat. He's trying to block punts. I mean, even in the the Vikings, when they did the fake punt, the punter had to throw it over Taysom Hill because that was the guy <laughs> running at him. And, and I don't know how many players have ever won four out of five games as a starting quarterback and also played tight end and also tried to block punts. Like Taysom Hill is just a super, super unique player. And I think that he's always thought he's a franchise quarterback or whatever, but now he's like in his 30s, uh, but uh, a very dynamic and, and rare. So I want to know from you, who are the most unique players of the last 30 years in the NFL? And does anyone match Taysom Hill? So thinking about this and looking into it, the thing that sticks out for me about Taysom Hill, as opposed to some of the other guys that you would think of in this list, is that he doesn't really 
excel or he's not one of the best at his at some of the things that he can do. Whereas some of the other guys where you would think of in this conversation, Devin Hester, let's let's start with him. One of the best kick returners in NFL history, if not the best kick returner in NFL history. You didn't want to kick to him, punt to him, whatever. You wanted to keep the ball away from him. You purposely kicked it out of bounds uh, to keep it away from him. And I don't really get that feeling that Taysom Hill, whether he's passing, receiving, blocking, whatever, is really truly one of the best at his game. Deion Sanders, you look at him, he he could play multiple multiple positions could play on both sides of the ball. He was the best cornerback in the league for years Could play multiple sports and be really good at it. So guys like that, guys that stick out like that are truly unique because they are the best at their positions and able to do it at multiple positions. Whereas Taysom Hill, he's good. He deserves a boatload of money because he can play so many positions. He can be so dynamic for you, but he doesn't really scream to me that he's one of the best at doing any of those specific things. He's, he's really, truly just a Jack of all trades, not a master of any of them for me. Yeah. I don't know that you could ask too many players to be tight end and quarterback. I mean, that's a very strange combination. A few that I thought of, uh, I've brought him up on the show before. One of my favorite players of all time, Tom Tupa, the punter who was able to win four out of 11 games as a starting quarterback, but was a franchise punter. Like he was a long time, very effective punter, but had to play quarterback a few times and did pretty well at it. I don't know how many punters ever, like even when you see punters throw the ball, it looks very like uh, you've thrown a ball before. And some of the guys played quarterback in high school, but it's just not the same as throwing it in an actual NFL game. So for Tupa to get under center in the 90s, there was a game where the Jets quarterback got hurt. Tupa came in and, and, and had to play off the bench punter slash quarterback during the game. Uh, that to me is crazy. Eric Metcalf was a very unique player. Kick return, punt return. Some years was a running back. Some years was a slot receiver. It didn't seem to matter which he could do anything you wanted to. Uh, Cordero Stewart or uh, Cor- uh, Cordell Stewart. I'm sorry. Uh, and Cordero Patterson, both on my list. Cordell Stewart slash starts out as a wide receiver, takes over as a quarterback. And let's be honest, uh, the Steelers probably had no idea what to do with him. I mean, they were lining up in I formations with the tight end and two wide receivers and just like, having him run deep breaking routes to throw to guys and stuff like imagine what they would do with a player like Cordell Stewart now and uh, Cordero Patterson running back wide receiver kick returner one of the best kick returners if not the best of all time but you're right I, I couldn't really find anything that quite matched up here Ray Lucas was a guy that did special teams and also ended up playing quarterback Brad Smith was a wide receiver slash quarterback uh, Troy Brown was a really good wide receiver and then went and played corner one year for the Patriots because they <laughs> ran out of corners. Uh, that that's insane. And, uh, Justin Reed, the guy from Kansas city who plays safety, but also is their emergency kicker and makes them. Yes. That's, that's nuts. That's nuts. He has to be, you're a soccer guy. That has to be one of your favorite players. Oh yeah, absolutely. A guy who can do that can play multiple positions and also kick and be really good at it because we know that's not an easy position as we've seen over the past, what, 10 years where that position with moving the field goal, the point after attempt back, it's really messed with kickers being able to do that and still focus on your normal uh, day job is still is incredible. I agree. Uh, and let me see. Did I have anybody else? Yeah, no, those, I mean, there's probably other players who have played multiple positions or switch positions and so forth, but to actually be good at multiple things like that, 
makes Taysom Hill a very interesting player. Uh, next question. Uh, Washington is terrible with Carson Wentz. The Panthers fired Matt Rule, which – I think you and I were talking about like in 2020 about yeah. how Matt Rule had no idea what he was doing. So it just took a while. It was an in- inevitable. Uh, these were probably the easiest things to see coming before the season that Washington would not live up to expectations and Matt Rule would be fired in Carolina. But uh, I want you to give me some of your preseason opinions that so far have either been exactly right or have gone horribly, horribly wrong. So I'll start with the one that's gone horribly, horribly wrong, and then I'll get to the one that's proven exactly right. Uh, the one that's gone wrong for me is the Colts. I thought Matt Ryan would be rejuvenated in Indianapolis with a strong run game, taking some pressure off of him there. Uh, you got Frank Reich calling the plays. It just has not looked good at all. They tie the terrible Texans in week one, get smoked by the Jaguars. A fluke win over the Chiefs is followed by getting worked by the Titans the next week. Then they get the ugliest win in NFL history this week. This is just a team that it they they shipped off Carson Wentz and they bet on an aging Matt Ryan who people were making excuses that the Falcons around him were bad and just wasn't good. It's now looking like Matt Ryan is washed. I don't want to say it because I've I've liked Matt Ryan. I've I've liked his career, but it just looks like at this point at his age, he's just washed. Not every quarterback can play past the age of 34 as we're seeing this season. And Matt Ryan is key number one of why people are starting to start believe that that 34 is kind of uh this breaking point for quarterbacks. And it's that that opinion for me has just gone wrong in that they've really struggled with Matt Ryan as quarterback. He's not looked anything like the guy who led to the Falcons to nearly a Super Bowl win. The one that has gone right for me, going back to week one of Hot Routes, I picked the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. And right now, it looks like they'll be battling the Bills for the AFC title and to play whoever, most likely the Eagles, is going to come out of the NFC in the Super Bowl. There was a lot of offseason talk about how they would look different and they might struggle without Tyreek Hill and a change in offense and not going deep as many times as they have. But that really hasn't changed at all through five weeks they've got the second highest graded passing offense according to pff only behind seattle and they have the third highest rated overall offense oh and they demolished one of the best defenses in the league in tampa bay a couple weeks ago this is a team that they traded away their number one wide receiver and they haven't looked back they've looked almost better at times than they did last season yeah kansas city being good shouldn't have surprised anyone i, I think that people preseason understandably because we do a show called hot routes uh (laughs) look for hot takes like what you know what can i say that's going to be a little bit different that will get people talking but any real logic would have told you that all-time great quarterbacks are going to make people around them better that doesn't mean you can have nobody but they went out and added a couple of people juju smith schuster sky Moore in the draft so you've got multiple people around Mahomes giving him more options. And of course, the best tight end in the NFL uh, who caught four touchdowns last night, um, Travis Kelsey. I've never seen something like that. I think he gained like 35 yards and had four touchdowns. But there are just plays during a game with Mahomes where it's unstoppable and there's no answer for it. There's no defense for it. There's nothing you can do. And he just finds a way. And uh, you had to figure he was going to continue to do that. Not only that, but like they have a, a good roster. Otherwise, I think their offensive line is pretty decent. Their defensive line, Chris Jones, when he's not, and we'll get to it, uh, getting the worst penalty in the history of my life. Um, that guy's been one of the best defensive tackles in the league. So they have talent around him. It wasn't like one player was going to make all the difference. And instead of 
like him trying to go to Tyreek Hill all the time, it does seem like he's distributing the ball to a lot of people from week to week, which is harder to defend than just one guy at times, I think. Um, for me, Philadelphia being good was a preseason take that turned out to be right um, because you could just see the writing on the wall. They've got the rookie quarterback contract, somebody who in Jalen Hurts that's improved every single year of his career. And I don't think that he's going to go 17 and 0, um, but their roster is so good. I mean, the great offensive line, great defensive line, you know, good, good wide receivers now since they added AJ Brown. They really have a, a little bit of everything. They can win in a lot of different ways. And my feeling was if Jalen Hurts was even a little bit better than last year, that they were going to be quite good. So that one has turned out, um, you know, to be a correct. I also like, I'm not sure if, if I put anything on record on this one, but you could see the writing on the wall with the Rams. And this is why you questioned the Matt Stafford move with the Rams when they initially did it and the bleep them picks idea. Like, do you really want to do that? Because if Tampa Bay completes the comeback against the Rams, or if the 49ers guy drops the ball, you are in a lot of trouble. Like that roster is beat up. It's not as good anymore. When you win the Super Bowl, you lose players. Uh, and Stafford is just a year older and looking like he's a year older. Beckham got hurt, so he's not out there anymore. Uh, it, it, it was foreseeable that the Rams would not be a long-term thing, and they could still make the playoffs, but they were really uh, chips all into the middle of the table, and they deserve the credit. Like You don't have to apologize to anybody for winning the Super Bowl and, and having those things fall your way in order to do so. And a great game-winning drive by Stafford, a great defensive effort, all those things to win the Super Bowl. But it was clear that if they didn't win the Super Bowl, they were in for some really, really rocky times um, going forward. So those were the ones that I would say would be right. Pittsburgh being as bad as they were, I did not expect that. I thought at the end of the year, we'd be talking about like, oh, Pittsburgh got to nine wins because Mike Tomlin just coached them up. Um it's hard to coach up an offense that bad. Uh, Mitch Trubisky is not an NFL starting quarterback. The cl- He pulled the classic Mike Glennon where you sign the guy who's really bad so he gets beat out, but he wins the job anyway, and then you have to turn it over to the rookie, and Kenny Pickett's just in over his head. Like They should have really waited to bring in Kenny Pickett until after they played Buffalo. Buffalo has not only the best offense in the league, mm-hmm. but probably one of the best defenses as well. That's really, really too tall of a task to go to Buffalo for a, a rookie quarterback. I don't, I, yeah, they, they panicked with that move and it looks like they're probably going to win like four games this year, which would be the first time. And as insane as it is that Mike Tomlin has not been above 500. How crazy is that? Yeah. I, I mean, you expected, you expected uh, Mike Tomlin just to be able to coach that team up because what in his history has proven that he can't? I mean, he got through the end of Ben Roethlisberger's career and still made them a playoff team. And that wasn't a very good team, as we're seeing. They didn't really make a whole lot of changes. They got rid of Juju Smith-Schuster in the offseason. He didn't play much last season, so it's not like they were missing him uh, all that much. But, yeah, you just expected the Steelers to be able to keep rolling with Mike Tomlin as their head coach because he's been so consistent at getting that team to where it was. And going back to the Rams – 
bleep them picks that it can come back to haunt you. And that's what it's looking like. I mean, those first round picks are there for a reason because those guys are good players and you can't keep just sending off those first round picks and expecting to keep developing. I mean, the draft is a crapshoot every year. You're not going to hit on every late round pick and you're not going to be able to develop, just develop every single player. You're going to need those first round guys every once in a while. And they haven't had a first round pick in years now and they won't for another couple of years. It's a great point that they hit on some late round picks. So I think they thought we are the team that knows how to hit on late round picks, but the reality is it's always random. And like you said, it's always luck. Uh, if you hit on late round picks, great. You don't, have, again, you don't have to cut them, but like you don't have to apologize, but it's not a model. Like you can't just expect to hit on late round picks when the odds are so low. It just means that, you know, if you had something that was a 10% chance, you can hit on something. that's a 10% chance three times in a row, but you can't hit it on a hundred times in a row. Right. Um, So that's, that's the uh, theme of our show here where I would say I was also wrong. And it's funny because two weeks ago I would have been saying I was very right. (laughs) Is Jacksonville. Uh, I thought, and this could still very much happen. They're down one game, uh, but I thought that they would be a really good team and contend for that division because they were so poorly coached before. And it just, everything about Trevor Lawrence screams, This is the guy who takes the huge step. And I don't know what has happened the last couple of weeks. Like Lawrence looked great and felt like this is the the path that you would expect. And this might just be a a rocky moment or it might be who Trevor Lawrence is. I guess we're going to find out. But I've been uh, a little concerned over the last couple of weeks. What I've seen from them is they dropped to, to two and three and they're behind Indianapolis right now. Like you talked about Matt Ryan, Indianapolis, the, the Jaguars are behind them right now, which seems absurd. Um, but I was expecting Trevor Lawrence to take this massive, massive leap. And it seems like there's still some ups and downs to his game. So that will be worth tracking. Am I right about that one uh, long-term? And I would say as a whole, I looked at the league before the season and thought, there's not a lot of great teams here. And there have not been a lot of great teams there. So that that might be the rightest opinion. It's just, especially in the NFC, like mm, lots of men. Uh, final question for you, Jonathan. Uh, I have a bit of a tendency to be a little hyperbolic. I think uh, you and I have known each other long enough to know that, <laughs> right? And so I am the person who, when something happens, I will say, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. That's the best thing I've ever seen. So one time we were playing golf and the golfer in front of us hit a car like sliced it and boom, banged a car. Right. And it's like, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's probably not like I could think of, (laughs) I could think of like 13 things in my life that I've seen that probably were crazier than a golfer hitting a car, but that's going to be my reaction. Okay. However, last night, Chris Jones's roughing call was objectively the worst thing I've ever seen. He stripped the ball. So Derek Carr didn't even have it and then fell on him well bracing himself and they negated the fumble which made no sense whatsoever on multiple levels and one of my favorite parts was they went to halftime and they were just like well now time for chris berman's highlights like we don't (laughs) even want to talk about this and then john barry comes in way later with like oh yeah bad call and i'm gone he disappeared off that broadcast at about 14 seconds he just came in and was like nope not good call see ya (laughs) <laughs> I'm out. You hear the door smash. Like, like 
dude, what can we actually talk about this for a minute? That that just majorly altered this football game. And it felt right that Kansas City won because of how messed up that was. But then even worse, they had a bunch of makeup calls in the second half, including a holding on the defense on a field goal, which I, I have seen before, but it doesn't happen very often. Uh, the, the refs went into their bag for that one. Like, what can we really get uh, even this game out for? So that was the worst roughing the passer call I have ever seen. I want you, Jonathan, and I to have some fun with that. Uh, I want you to just give me stuff from the NFL that's the best thing or worst thing or whatever thing you have ever seen. Well, I think uh, the the worst thing we've ever seen in the NFL is replacement refs that we got a couple years ago in the incompletion and touchdown catch and the same call from the same from two different refs looking over the same play yards apart. So I think that goes down as maybe the worst call, but last night's call and uh, this weekend's call against Tom Brady, those two roughing the passers probably up there with that, with some of the worst things we've ever seen. And I think it's time. I I know we've talked about this. I think it might be time for sky judge. I think it's time to get sky judge involved and have a ref in the booth, looking at replays and say, "Eh, maybe that's, maybe that should be reviewed and looked at because that didn't seem right. And I think, I don't know what's holding the NFL back from having that in play of having an official there to review the officials that, Maybe that's not a good call, and maybe we should take a second look at this. Not a coach's challenge of the official calls, but an official in the booth who is unbiased, who's willing to say, hey, we need to take a look, second look at this again. That didn't seem right. And I think it's time. It's absolutely time. We have the technology. There's no reason we shouldn't have that because games are changed by these moments, as we saw last night. And it really you can't keep having this when we have this many camera angles for viewers at home to see this many camera angles for viewers in the stadium to see. You can't keep having this. Uh, that would be up there for worst I've ever seen. Some of the best I've ever seen just as a, as a Vikings watcher and fan for the, for my entire life, going back to 98, the 98 Vikings. That was fun. Yes. I was eight at the time, but it was still, you felt you truly felt they could score literally any play of the game. And that was one of the most exciting offense still is one of the most exciting offenses ever with Randy Moss, 17 touchdowns. I believe Chris Carter with 12, those guys just dominating Randall Cunningham coming out of, out of the woodwork to have a miracle season late, late, late in his career after being out of the NFL for a, for a year or two. Uh, And then you look at uh, probably one of the best plays I think for me ever in Super Bowl history was the helmet catch. I think that's just such a fun play that it's probably not the best play, but it's just, it's such a big moment at the final game winning drive. And he's got Rodney Harrison hanging all over him and Eli Manning just escapes essentially his Jersey being ripped off of him a couple times in one play and just heaves it up and Tyree kill catches it off his helmet. That's one of my favorite plays that I'm willing to say is one of the best in super bowl history, even though it's probably not, but it's still one of the most exciting plays in NFL history. Oh yeah. No, I think it is. I think it is. Uh, is it the best ever? Like that's uh, probably a long debate, but yeah. I think it's, I think it is in the top 10 plays ever in NFL history is him catching that on the side of his helmet. Uh, a couple for me, the Marshawn Lynch run against the Seattle Seahawks is the best run I've ever seen. Just throwing dudes with one hand, breaking tackle after tackle. The fact that it was in Seattle where the noise is so insane and it like caused a small earthquake or something when he did it. 
that uh, along with who Marshawn is and the way that he plays is yeah, that's, that's the best. Uh, the worst call I've ever seen was not saying it was a uh, forward pass in the Music City Miracle. <laughs> it was I knew that was coming up. Clearly a forward pass. The worst call I've ever seen. Um, the best, <laughs> the best kick I've ever seen was Matt Prater against the Vikings when they tied a game late in 2016. That's the best I've ever seen in person because I think it was 58, and the dude treated it like it was a chip shot, but. Justin Tucker's 65 yard kick that, or was it 66? I, that is the best kick I have ever seen in my life. Where he crow hopped uh, it. Yeah. The, I mean, that is, there's just no world where you would expect someone to be able to kick a football yeah. that far. I think Brett Favre's throw against the 49ers is the best throw I've ever seen. Considering that the ball traveled like 50 yards or 40 yards in the air on the move, where there was no way you could have seen that guy. And he just rips this laser beam into the back of the end zone. I'm sure everybody's seen that. Um, the fastest I've ever seen a person move on a football field has to be uh, Randy Moss running down the sideline when he would throw the arm up. But, you know, to me, that's like a part of it. Like Randy Moss is the greatest receiver I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, even considering that like offenses were just starting to become what they are now and he was that unstoppable. Like when you see Justin Jefferson has as many 150 yard games, you're like, well, yeah, but like it's easier to do now. That's kind of how the game works. And and with Randy Moss, he was like a, a 2022 wide receiver playing when the rules were a little bit different back in, in 1998. Um, so yeah, those are, those are some of the ones I think, I mean, like there's, there's a million of them. There's like a million hard hits, uh, there was a time, and it's a weird one, where, and I don't remember who it was, somebody jumped off sides. I feel like it was the Jets and just drilled the quarterback. And it was the hardest hit I've ever seen. Like, because the guy was just under center, like hot, hot, and then just boom. Like, he wasn't even moving, but the guy tried to jump the line and just crush the quarterback. I think it might have been like Jets, Bills, and I don't know, 91 or something. So, um, yeah, anyway, but that call does go down as the worst call I've ever seen since it not being a forward pass in the music <laughs> city miracle. Um, so this is uh this is hot routes, by the way, if you're just discovering it and you happen to also be a Vikings fan, listen to the purple insider podcast. We do that every day and always appreciate your time, Jonathan. And we will do this again next week.